for our scripture reading today, will you turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Look with me, please, in Paul's epistle to the Christians at Rome, the first chapter, and we will read verses 16 through 21. Beginning with verse 16 of Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I was um, 18 years old when God called me to preach. I was a senior in high school. And right after I surrendered to preach, I was over at my grandparents' house. My uncle was there. And my uncle was not an agnostic, but he was pretty skeptical about Christianity and the Christian faith. And I think he, and he's a school teacher, so I think he wanted to kind of put me on the spot a little bit. He, he really did. He kind of waited until everybody was um, in the room and everybody was kind of talking about and bragging on the the uh, young Tidwell boy had just surrendered to preach. My granddaddy was glorying in the fact that he was the only son in the Tidwell family that was in church-related work. And my uncle um, said, I'd like to ask a question I, uh, I've been wondering about for a long, long time. He said, I, I wonder if you might be able to help me. I thought, oh, whatever it is, I've got the answer. I mean, after all, I'd, I'd surrendered to preach last week and it doesn't take that long to get prepared. And he said, um, what about the heathen over in Africa, over in uh, the jungles, the people that have never heard the gospel, that have never had the gospel preached to them, that have never heard about Jesus? What about those people, he said? He said, if they die, will they go to hell? I said, oh, no, you know. Who knows the answer to that question, I thought to myself. And so I kind of backed up into the corner and tried to paint my way out. It's a good question. What about the person who has never heard the gospel? What about the man who has never had the gospel preached to him? If he were to die, would he be lost? Or what about the religious people of the world who have their ways to their God? I had a young man tell me one night, he said, everybody has his way to God. You have your way to your God, we have our way to ours. What about the people of the world who are sincere in what they believe and they are deeply religious and committed to their doctrine, their faith, and they worship a God whose name we can't pronounce perhaps, but they believe it and they're sincere in it. And they live and die in the confidence that their God will provide. What about them? What about the mercy of a God who allows one to die without Christ having been preached to him? And is God just if he allows someone to be lost and never have the chance, and never have the gospel preached to him? These are difficult, thorny problems and questions. And in trying to find the answer to them this morning, questions that you have asked or you have heard asked, 
I want to submit to you four propositions, and I want you to write them down in the flyleaf or by Romans 1. Four propositions concerning the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel? Proposition 1. I'm glad you're finding that place. And I want you to be able to turn to this someday when that question is asked of you. And not only will we gain knowledge this morning concerning this deep and profound question, but we'll gain some knowledge as to the truth of God's Word for ourselves. Remembering this, that God holds us responsible not just for what we have heard, but God holds us responsible for what we could have heard but didn't. Proposition 1. All men have some light. John says in his marvelous prologue that Christ is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. All men have some light. Now I want you to imagine this morning, using our text as a, as a base, I want you to imagine a trial and the Apostle Paul is going to bring to trial the pagan world, the world that is completely alienated from God, the heathen world, we might call it. Paul is bringing the pagan world to trial. And he is the prosecuting attorney. And he's going to say, I'm going to convince beyond a shadow of a doubt that this pagan world is without excuse. And the defense attorney stands to plead the innocence of his client and says, I plead my client's innocence because of ignorance. My client is innocent because he's never had the opportunity to be saved. He is innocent because he has never had the gospel preached to him and he's never heard about Jesus. I plead his innocence. And the Apostle Paul stands, the prosecuting attorney, to say this, I want you to know that this pagan world is guilty and I'm going to prove it. And in order to do this, I'm going to bring just two witnesses to the trial. I'm going to bring, first of all, the witness of creation. And I want you to look again at verse 19. And so Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now the Apostle Paul is saying this pagan world is guilty because they have had the evidence of God in the creation around them. The psalmist said the, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands day to day pours forth speech. 
And so as you go out and witness a West Texas sunset, there's something inside of you that says, God made this. And as you look out into the starry heavens at night, there's something whispering in your ear. Tell him thank you because there is evidence in the created world that there is a creator. Did you ever notice that the Bible does not deal with atheism? The Bible just assumes that man, through his witness of creation, is aware of a God. There's only one passage, one little half verse of Scripture that deals with atheism, and it says this, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I heard about a man preaching one night to a large gathering of people, mixed races, denominations, religions, and he was talking about, he was talking about the divine creation of the universe and he was speaking against evolution. There was a man sitting out in the audience listening to him and he was just insulted by this preacher, this fundamentalist. And so he took a piece of paper and he wrote one word on it. He wrote the word fool on this little slip of paper. And he motioned for the usher who was off to the side and he asked him to come over there and he held, handed him this piece of paper folded and, the, and, and he said, would you take this to the speaker please? It's an emergency. And the usher went up on the platform and interrupted the speaker and handed him the piece of paper. The speaker, assuming that it was an emergency, opened the paper and saw the word fool. And the speaker said, you know, the strangest thing has just happened. Occasionally, I get notes from folks who forget to sign their names. And this is the first time I've ever gotten a note from a man who has signed his name and forgot to write the note. You, you know what, you know what the, the atheists want us to believe? that nothing times nothing equals everything. I tell you, it would take ten times more faith to believe that than to believe God. If you have a creator, you must have. If you have a creation, you must have a creator. And then the Apostle Paul says, I want to bring the second witness to this trial. The first witness was creation. The second witness is conscience. I want you to look at the 14th verse of chapter 2. And Paul says in verse 14, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctly the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Now what Paul means by this is that there is something about man that causes him to instinctly do the law, do the right thing. He has instincts to write. For God has created man in such a way that he has written that into the fabric and the fiber of his being. 
Pascal says, there is a God-formed vacuum in every man that only God can fill. Man, created by the Creator, has in his conscience, in the instinct of his own heart, a witness to God. Now, every man has some light. He has the light of the creation around him that he can see with his eyes. And he has the inner witness of God's work in his heart, the instinct of the law written on his heart. Proposition one, every man has some light. Proposition two, light refused increases darkness. I want you to look at verse 21 of this first chapter. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart became darkened. Jesus said, Unto whom he who has, he who has, to him who has, it shall be given. To him who has not, it shall be taken away, even that which he has. Now that's one of the most difficult sayings in the New Testament, and it's found often there. And it's always found in relationship to the parable of the sower and the talents. And the principle of that statement, he who has, it shall be given to him. He who has not, it shall be taken away, even that which is given. The principle of that statement is this, that what you don't use, you lose. It's the use or lose principle, and that principle is ingrained into life. It's found in, anim in the animal world. Naturalists say that there, is, there are in the caves in Newfoundland fish that have eyes, but they've lived so long in the darkness they no longer see. And naturalists tell us that in New Zealand and Australia, the emu and kiwi birds one time used their wings to fly, but after long years of disuse, they no longer are useful. It's ingrained in the, in the world of the human being. You strap your arm to your side and leave it strapped there for a year, and you will lose the use of it. It will atrophy, it will die, its use will decay. Now you don't put truth on ice. You don't take the truth and put it in your pocket and save it. You don't put it in a box and one day when you want to get it out, you use it. You don't put truth on ice. If you hear the truth, if you have the knowledge, if you get the light and you don't lose it, that light becomes darkness. Now I found a frightening verse. I want you to turn to it. It's found in the second chapter, in, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 9 and following. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to this. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all powers and signs 
and false wonders. Now some interpret this to refer to the coming of the Antichrist in the tribulation period. Others refer to it as the evidence of the world becoming evil and e more, more evil and more evil and people responding to deceit and to lies. Look at verse 10. And with all deception of wickedness from those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. They got the truth, but they didn't receive it as to be saved. Now look at verse 11. And for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now let me illustrate this. Here is a man who comes into church and hears the gospel preached. He has the message preached to him. He receives the truth in the, in the, in the worship service. And he rejects that truth and does not respond to it, to believe, to be saved. And he rejects it again. He comes again and he rejects it. One day he decides that he is not going to church any longer and he stays home. He's sitting in the living room of his house one Sunday morning reading the comic strips with his feet propped up and just taking it easy. Church is going on and a doorbell rings. He goes to the door and there are standing there two people who are part of a cult that's beginning in the community. With all the deceit and the lies and the falsehood of that cult, you put your name, put the name there, whatever cult you're aware of. And the man says to the person inside the house, we've come to tell you about the truth. We have divine revelation. We have a word from God. And he says, well, come in and let's visit about it. And the cult group comes and they share with him lies and falsehoods and deceits. And the scripture says God causes them, that is, he permits them because of their rebellion and their rejection to believe a lie in order that they might be judged. Now listen carefully. The most dangerous thing a person can ever do is come to church. The most dangerous thing a person can ever do is to hear the gospel preached because when he hears that gospel preached, and he does not respond to be saved to the gospel, the light that he has becomes darkness. For light refused increases darkness. Proposition 3. Light obeyed increases light. Light obeyed increases light. Now some of you may be asking, now you're talking about in creation and in the conscience a knowledge of God, but doesn't one have to believe in Jesus in order to be saved? And how does he come to understand about Jesus if he just sees creation and he has the law written in his heart? Well listen, if a person responds to the light he has about God, God will give him light about Jesus. Now I want to try to back up that statement. 
Why should God, if a man is not interested in the fact of God, give him knowledge or light as to the way to God? But if a person is interested in the fact of God and he responds to the light he has concerning the fact of God, God will give him light as to the, as to the way to God. No man is going to be lost and not have a chance to be saved if he has responded to the light he has concerning the fact of God. Now the text says that righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Now we need to understand what that means. It means this, that when a person responds and obeys Concerning what he knows about God, God will help him to have the ability to believe and obey what he does not know about God. You see, when you get light and you obey it, God gives more light. And when you get that more light and you obey that, God gives more light. That's why some of us don't know any more about the Bible than we do. We go to God and we say, God, I want to know more about the Bible. I just don't understand very much about the Bible. I'm not really growing. I'm not really understanding it. Will you tell me some things about the Bible I don't know? And God says, no, I'm not going to tell you any more about the Bible. I'm not going to help you understand the Bible. And you say, God, you mean you're not going to help me understand what I don't know about the Bible? And God says... When you obey what you do understand about the Bible, I'll help, you to under, I'll help you to know what you don't know. You see, when we begin to obey what we know about God, God will help us begin to understand and believe what we don't know about Him. Now follow me, watch this. Let's suppose that there is a man living in the jungle in Ecuador. And he's a religious man. He, he goes out at night and he sees the heavens and he, he believes down deep inside that there must be some great power creating that. And he, he, he goes to bed at night and he lies there in his bed and he's thinking in his, inside of him. There is something inside of him that bears witness to a higher being and it troubles him and bothers him. And he tries to find ways to worship this being, whoever he is. And as best he can, he worships and he obeys and he responds to this creator, whatever his name is. He's never heard about him. But it must be something out there bigger than he is. He's never been able to do that. I want you to believe this. I believe it. That if there is that kind of man with that kind of faith, God is going to bring that man knowledge of Jesus if he has to crash land a plane and drop a mi missionary there at his feet. Now, I think I have New Testament evidence to substantiate that, that statement. I think there are two. One of them is the illustration of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, the Bible says, God said to Philip one day, I want you to go down to Gaza, and I want you to go there. I want you, just want you to preach there. And he went down to Gaza, following and obeying God. 
while he was there, he was walking along, and God said, I want you to join yourself to that chariot. And he went to the chariot, and there was a man in the chariot reading the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. And he was reading the messianic statement concerning Jesus. Now get this. Here was an Ethiopian eunuch, a man who was not a a Christian, not a believer, not a Jew, but he was reading and obeying and following the light he had concerning the Scripture. And the preacher went up to him and said, Do you understand who, who that is they're talking about in that passage? And he said, No, sir, I don't know who he's talking about. And he preached to him, Jesus. For wherever you have a sinner who is seeking the, the Lord, you're going to have brought into His presence by the divine work of God a soul winner every time. There's a second illustration. It's the illustration of the centurion. He was a Gentile. He was an Italian. But the ninth and 10th chapter of Acts say that he believed in God and he prayed to Him every day. And one day while this centurion was praying God was raising up a preacher he had to do a little work in his life his name was Peter he had to get him ready to go to this Italian and preach the gospel to him but here was a sinner responding to the light he had and God was raising up a soul winner to go and tell him and one day he sent Peter to the house of the centurion and he knocked on the door and he said I've come to tell you under the orders of God that Jesus Christ died for you when a person responds to the light he has, God gives him more light. Helen Keller, when she was six months old, became blind and deaf. God sent a woman into her life by the name of Ann Sullivan, and she began to communicate to Helen Keller through the touch. You know the story. I'll not go through that length to describe what you already know. But after she had worked a long time with Helen Keller, one day she decided it was time to try to communicate to her about Jesus. And through the touch, she began to tell her about Jesus. And the story says that her face, Helen Keller's face, lit up like the sun, and she said, Jesus, I've known Him all of my life. I just didn't know His name. I heard um, Adrian Rogers tell that one morning he was preaching over television and the wife of a Jewish psychiatrist received Christ as her Savior. And she brought her husband to the church when she responded to Christ and Adrian Rogers talked to this Jewish psychiatrist. Now you talk about an unlikely convert, a Jew and a psychiatrist responding in faith to the gospel. That's pretty unlikely. And Adrian Rogers shared with him the gospel, and he refused. He said, I just cannot believe that. And he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to read the Word of God every day, and I just want you to pray to, 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 to whomever. Lord, if you're out there, let yourself, let your will reveal yourself to me. I want to believe. I want to know you. About six months later, after doing this every night, that Jewish psychiatrist took his wife by the hand and said, Honey, come with me. I want us to go into my study, and I want to meet Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And they went into the study, and they got down on their knees, and he invited Jesus Christ to walk into his life and live. 
and now he's an active member of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. I know the hour is late. Proposition three, light obeyed increases light. Proposition four, man is going to be judged by the light that he has. You know, some people have more light than others. I guess on every corner in downtown Durant, there's a church. And if you, don't, if you can't make it to church, you can listen on the radio. And if you can't listen on the radio, you can see 15 preachers this morning uh, and today on television. Every, we, we have more light. It's not, because, it's not because we've longed for that light. It's just because we live in America. Now, I don't understand this, but I want you to hang with me. I don't understand all there is to know about this and probably never will. But there's going to be degrees of suffering in hell for those who have had more light than others. Now I want you to look at the 11th chapter of Matthew and I just want to read beginning at verse 16. I'll be through in just a second. The 11th chapter of Matthew beginning at verse 16. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me go to verse 20, verse 20 of, of chapter 11. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Where most of his miracles were done, get that. Where most of the light was. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, those cities that were judged by God in the Old Testament period, if, if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which had occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, look at this, look at this. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day they would have been in repentance. Now, I don't understand it all, but I believe this. That if a man goes to hell, it would be better for him to go to hell from Russia than from Durant. For a man is not so much judged by what he does. Please hear this. A man is not so much judged by what he does, but by his refusal of the light. And the scripture says that this is the condemnation. This is the judgment. That light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Proposition one, everybody has some light. Proposition two, if you refuse the light and fail to obey it, it becomes darkness. It becomes darkness and darkness. Proposition three, if you respond to the light you have, just like little children in Bible school, responding to the light that they had of God, responding to their knowledge of Jesus, God begins to increase the light. Proposition four, if you've heard the message over and over again and you still refuse, you'll be judged on the basis 
of that light. I heard Gil Strickland tell this story, and then I'm through. He was speaking to a fellowship of Christian athletes group, and he told about a friend of his who was living in a, in a farm, on a farm. He had a, he had a barn out at the back of his farm. And he said he went out one day into the barn, and there was a bird trapped inside the barn trying to get out. And he said the bird was flying, you know how they do, and they're frightened, and it was flying against the walls and the rafters of that barn, banging itself, and he knew that the, the bird would be injured or killed. And he said the man stood out in the center of the barn, and the most phenomenal thing happened. man deeply religious, he held out his hand to that bird and said, if you'll put yourself in my hand, I will save you. And he said he held out his hand like that. And then that phenomenon happened. The bird, wild bird, flew down and lighted in his hand. And he took the bird outside to the edge of the barn. As soon as he saw the light, he flew away. And the friend said, the profound lesson that God communicated to me was, if you're going to be released to the light, you must put yourself in His hands. Would you bow your heads with me?